James chapter 4, going through James chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and Sundays and Wednesdays, uh, picking it up here in 4, hopefully get through the whole chapter. Um, I don't know if they managed to get them put in or not, doesn't look like it, but I have a bunch of cross-references, and it's nice to be able to see them ahead of time so that you can be kind of heading that direction, Uh, but I'm not seeing that. So if... um, you can, I'll just slowly, we'll go through them. I like uh, letting the word kind of give its its uh, definition of things rather than me trying to explain it and, and put it in my own words. I'd rather the Lord just keeps it in his word. But James chapter 4, and as you've been following along, you know, we've been dealing with uh, different subjects throughout. A lot of it is endurance. A lot of it is trials. A lot of it is his faithfulness, but our faith becoming real and having works to go along with it. The subjects dealt with in James chapter 4 are fighters and judgers and boasters, oh my. Verses 1 through 10, he talks about the fighting and this quarreling that's going on. And verses 11 through 12, he's talking about those that are judging. And then 13 through 17, these guys that are boasting on how they're going to travel around the world and make all kinds of money. Um, And this is back in the... This is back in the first century, James is writing this. And we had all these things going on. Obviously, traveling around the world is our more of a modern thing for us. We don't, you know, back then they would maybe go to the next country, but that's about it. But anyway, how did we get to these subjects? Going back for a flow of thought, in chapter 1, he dealt with patience and trials, endurance and temptations, being doers of the word and not hearers only. In chapter 2, he dealt with partiality and favoritism and how they were becoming judges with evil motives um, and how they treated the poor and the lowly brethren. And uh, they say that they had faith, but they weren't meeting the basic needs of the poor brethren that were among them. James tells them that such a faith is dead and cannot even save them. And he at least raises the question, can such a faith save you? He asks them rhetorically. And uh, that they, and then teaches in chapter 2 that they are justified by works, not by faith alone. Um, in fact, uh, we are justified by faith, but there has to be something that is born out of that faith. There has to be fruit there. In chapter 3, it talks about the destructive, or the destruction caused by an untamed tongue. And we talked about that, and then at the tail end of it, the wisdom from above compared to earthly wisdom. And that kind of is how we ramp up to this first couple of verses in chapter 4. And so I just want to back up and start reading from 3.13 all the way to 4.4. And we'll see how that ties in. And his flow of thought is continuing on. And so in 13 he said, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. And if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, self-seeking in your hearts, well, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. And for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, having full of mercy, and having good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And that fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So where do wars and fights 
come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Well, you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow. And um, so we're talking, first of all, about the wisdom. And he's talking about that, that uh, wisdom that's earthly and sensual and demonic. And, and it's born out of that envy and that self-seeking. And now there's these wars and fights and quarrels that come among them. So clearly, there are those among these believers that are operating in this earthly and sensual and demonic wisdom. So where does this bitter envy and jealous, jealousy and selfish ambition and self-seeking reside from 13 uh, or 3 verse 14? Well, it's right in our hearts. He doesn't say it's out there somewhere. It's not somebody else's problem. These are found in our own hearts. And in verse 1, the question is, where do the, these wars start? What's the, the source of all of this? Well, the, the very desires of our flesh, that, that fleshly nature that, uh, uh, that we have um, you know, within their own members, our bodies and the appetites of our flesh. We envy, we lust, we seek for ourselves. We ignore the poor man and the problems others are facing. Now, some would say that the opposite of love is hate. You often hear that. There's the opposite. You know, you might see that. Um, but the truth of it is, um, if there's a, a godly, agape love, and it, it, it's going to be useless without selflessness and actions towards others. And so really, if you want to think about it, the opposite of love really is selfishness. Not necessarily hate. Now, hate is uh, is really trying to murder your brother, and obviously, that's not love either. But if you're thinking about an opposite from your own perspective, well, that opposite is really when we're selfish. We're not loving when we're being self-centered and self-aware and all of that, just so we can spend it on our own personal pleasure. And that's what he's talking about. Well, where does uh, what comes of that in in chapter th- three, verse sixteen? It says confusion and every evil thing. Now you look up confusion in the Greek and all, it, just, it means pretty much the same thing, but it has more of an idea of instability and disorder and disturbance. And so these things are going on among them, and it's causing these, these wars and fights, but it's also in the, in the body of believers causing this instability, this disorder, rather than things being orderly and, and pleasant. And every evil thing, well, the word every means all types and from every direction, all colors and flavors. This, uh, these uh, evil is kind of an interesting word for evil. It's not necessarily wickedness, but it's an easy and ordinary kind of wicked thing that just moves right back in when you're you know, walking in the world and seeking the things of this world. So confusion, instability, and every evil thing is, is just naturally moving right back in on these guys because they're, not, they're walking after the flesh. And it is. We, here we are. We're still in this world. 
we still carry around these bodies or what I'd like to call carcasses because all they do is, you know, you got to drag them around. They don't wake up every morning in the brightest of spiritual behavior. Usually they wake up and you have to kind of, well, what does the Lord say? What does Paul say? Pick up your cross daily. Or the Lord said, and follow me. And uh, that cross means we're putting that carcass up on the cross again and let his will be done, not our will be done. And so what kind of fighting do we see in the church? For that, we go to 2 Timothy 2, and verses 14 through, uh, all the way through chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Paul is uh, writing to Timothy, who is a young pastor and elder in, in the church, and giving them instructions, giving him instructions. Wrote it openly so they could all see it. And... Um, there's a bit of a stretch here, but it really lays out some of the stuff that was going on in that early church. This fighting, this quarreling. It says, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, Timothy, not to strive about words, to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Well, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's where you're going to keep things in line, continuing in the word. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past and the overthrow of the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So he's laying out these things here, you know, obviously divide the word of God rightly, divide truth, you know, avoid these babblings. Um, They've been striving about words and and profane, idle babblings uh, going on. And it says in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but like these guys he's talking about, also of wood, hay, uh, wood and clay, some of honor and some of dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses him from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. He says, flee also these youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And here it is, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. These wars, these quarrels going on, know that they will generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having taken captive, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And then in verse three, up to uh, chapter three, up to verse seven. But know this, and he's talking about us now, also what was going on since for 2,000 years, that perilous times will come because men are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, like James is talking about, rather than lovers of God, like James is talking about having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, 
loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, after learning and or always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, boy, that describes some, doesn't it? Um, now Janice and Jambres, I think that's all we needed, verse 7. Um, striving about words, profane and idle babblings, foolish and ignorant disputes, slander, and then only a form of godliness, and always learning. Romans 16 adds a little more to this, these wars that uh, James is talking about, these quarrels. Just two verses in, in Romans 16, and we'll look at 17 and 18. It says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses, and contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus, but their own bellies, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. And then just the next page to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, right in the next page, just 10 through 13. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. And now I say that each of you always, uh, and now I say this, that each of you say, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Was Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? So there's divisions, there's quarrels. Now they're taking up sides and they're following certain guys. You got your denomination over here and your denomination over here. They want to look at it this way. And, you know, Paul was a great orator, or uh, Apollos was a great orator. Well, Paul says he barely could speak out of his own timidity when he was amongst them. And, uh, you know, they, he was hard to look at, some some say, because you know he was just a little guy with a voice that that was hard to understand. And um, Paulus was this great orator. Well, some graf, you know gravitated to the one, and some gravitated to the other. That's not it. That's not the way. And some of the more spiritual ones would say, "Well, I'm of Christ," and that was just their way of pointing up their own division and uh, holding it. But right in the next page over, um, chapter three. This is what Paul was dealing with when he wrote concerning the same kind of fights and quarrels, three through uh, verses one through four. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy and strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another of I'm Apollos, are you not carnal? So from Timothy, Romans, and Corinthians, what would the Lord have us do with these individuals? What did we just write? Well, first, or what did we just read? Charge them not to strive about words, he says to Timothy. Avoid these foolish and ignorant disputes. And in humility, correct those that are in opposition. And turn away from such who only have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And then it says, note those who cause division and avoid them. Going back to James, verses 2 and 3. Um, 
it, they ask. You know, it says uh, in 4, verse 2 and 3, you lust, do not have, you murder, covet, and cannot obtain, you fight in war, yet you do not have, because you do not ask, it says. And you do not ask, um, or you ask and do not receive, it says, because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Well, they're asked, they ask, but they're operating still in this earthly and sensual and demonic wisdom. They ask for the reason to spend it on their own envy and to spend it on their own selfish desires. Remember in chapter 1, they were told to ask for wisdom from the Lord, but without doubt. He says, if you're going to doubt, well, don't expect anything. Well, what was that word doubt? It was to waver about that wisdom that they were getting, right? And so they, they were trying to decide for themselves if they even liked what they were hearing about this wisdom from the Lord. Well, why would he give them anything? You know, they, they didn't like what they were hearing and they were questioning it. And, well, he says, don't expect anything from the Lord if I'm going to give you the wisdom and uh, you're not going to use it and you're going to basically dispute that this is the wisdom the Lord's given you. But there is a wisdom in the chapter 3 that's from above. It's out of our reach. It's from above. Um, but given freely to those who ask with the right motives is what James is talking about. It's a pure wisdom, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, is any of this found in us of our own strength and of our own determination? Well, no. So where does it come from? Well, it comes from above. It comes from God. Well, how? And for that, we go to John 14. James says, ask, but don't ask amiss. John 14, 12 through 18, and then we'll look at verse, verses 26 and 27. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will all do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, will keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. And he will, may abide with you forever. And here it is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it, is neither, it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. How do we receive? Well, we receive when we receive the Holy Spirit from the Lord. And in verses 26 and 27, But that helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, well, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your heart, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So we're talking about a different wisdom. We're not talking about this earthly wisdom. We're talking about a wisdom from above. And what does he say at the end of 13? That, that righteousness that's sown in peace, you know, is sown by those who make peace. And here's that peace that the Lord gives us. The spirit of truth that the world does not like, it cannot receive. The spirit that the world cannot give, or the peace, I should say, that the world cannot give. Well, what does this all look like in us? And we looked at this a few weeks back, but it's worth another passage, and that's Galatians 5. 
because James is talking about these guys that they don't have the fruit. They don't have the kind of faith that's real because they're talking about their faith, but they're, they're still uh, just living after their flesh. They're just walking after that which is carnal. They're walking after that which is going to feed their own bellies. And in Galatians 5, that's verses six, uh, 16 through 26, it says, I say then, and he's speaking of the Holy Spirit that we just learned was given to us, that he sent to comfort us. Walk in the Spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and then the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. It's benefit number one. And the works of the, f- the flesh are evident, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, which is pharmakia, um, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, and dissensions, heresies, envies, we're talking about that in James, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice ongoing, living in it, not those that maybe stumble, but those that are going after it, those that you know, go to the stores to get what they got to get to provide for these things, those that are walking in it continuously, but those that practice such things um, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, it's one thing to stumble, and we do. Again, we're carrying around these carcasses, these things that tug at us. You know, we, we, we have the Lord inside of us. We don't want to do these things. But do we still feel that tug? And do we sometimes make that mistake? That's one thing. But to walk in it, and this, this, those who practice, in other words, it's an ongoing part of their life to walk in these things. That's what he's talking about. Shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But notice 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against, there's, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ, having crucified the flesh with its passions every day, every morning, and its desires, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk. And that's the place we're supposed to be hanging out and walking and practicing in the Spirit. And let not us become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Same things that James is talking about. And, you know, this isn't about the other guy. This isn't about somewhere else. This isn't about your wife or about your husband or about your parents. This is about us personally. We need to take this to heart for ourselves. Pointing the finger isn't what he's talking about here. You know, this is for each one of us individually to take to our own hearts and minds. Um, in verses 4 back in James through 6, this ties into what we've been talking about. Um, that spirit that he put in us and also just the spirit that we have, um, you know, these things are, we're the bride. We'll get into that. Verses four through six says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously 
but he gives more grace. And therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We're the bride of Christ. He chose us out of this world. He separated us to himself. The Holy Spirit was given to us and dwells in us as that deposit, that seal of engagement to keep us until we go to be with him. And yes, we drag around these bodies, but he, in fact, does dwell inside of us. Now, in order to bear that good fruit, we, we read about in Galatians, and enable us to walk in those good things that he prepared for us individually, maybe far different things from one guy to the next, things that he prepared for us to do. Tommy was here last uh, Sunday. You know, he's, he's a pastor of the biker church. Lord, prepare him uh, through his life to be a minister to these bikers. You know, they'd laugh me out of the room if I walked in there and tried to, you know, be cool with them. You know, I don't have any tats or any, you know, scars on my head from hitting the cement. But, you know, these guys, these guys are before the foundation of the world. These things were prepared for, for Tommy. Well, there's people that, houses I go into that the Lord prepared for the found, before the foundation of the world that I might have something to share with them or just to do the best job I can possibly do so that they go, that was really cool. And I can say, well, praise the Lord. And they can look at me like, okay, well. And if that door opens, then we can talk to them. And if, and if not, well, then we go on our way. But they heard something that day, and the Lord might be able to use it. Every one of us has works that were prepared for us before the foundation of the world. And yes, the fruit of the Spirit is in all of us, and it's the same, that peaceable fruit. Um, but bearing good fruit, enabling us to walk in the good things he prepared for us. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We are to be a light and bring truth and be a witness to the world. So when we're talking about friendship with the world, the word friend is that uh, philia, brotherly love, but more so to the point, this is your gang. This is your buddies. This is your, your posse or your crew, however you want to put it these days. These are the guys that you got their backs, and they got your backs. You're running together as one band of brothers. That's the kind of love, the kind of friendship that he's talking about. And he's talking about the world that, you're having, that these guys want to have friendship with. Well, that word world is cosmos, and we all know that word, the universe or the earth, but it also means the circle or the, the cosmos of the people in our lives. Um, it's, the word is used for all kinds of things when it talks about uh, um, you know, the, the lives that people live, the cosmos being just that little section of the world that they live in as well. We think of it as just being the universe, and true, that is what it means and is used that way. But here the context is the people, right in your circle, right in your world. And um, this is who you want to be friends with. These, the, this is going to be your band of brothers that you're going to run with. As a believer, um, let's look at what the world, we've got three verses to, to go to. I'll give them all to you. You can maybe get your hands in them. First John 2. And we're going to look at uh, 15 through 17. We're going to go to the Gospel of John. And then we're going to go to Romans. And we're going to make a little list of this wonderful world that we're trying to be buddies with. So 1 John 2, 15 through 17. He says, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, will the love of the Father is not in him? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, 
is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides. In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 21. Now, if the world hates you, well, you know that it hated me before you, Jesus is telling him. Uh, if, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. And yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And then uh, verse twenty twenty one. Remember that the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they prosecute, persecuted me, or prosecuted, um, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Again, Jesus in the Gospel of John, most important message is that he was sent by the Father. If they rejected Jesus, well, they were rejecting the Father. And if they rejected us, he's saying it's because they're rejecting him, because we are of him. Romans chapter 8, 5 through 9. So it says, for those who live according to the flesh and set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Notice this, because the carnal mind is at enmity against God. He's an enemy of God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. It says, so here's the list about the world, things of the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It hates Jesus. It hates believers. It hates the, fathers, the Father. It's ruled by Satan. Carnally minded, enmity against God cannot abide the law of God? Why would we as the bride of Christ want to have this friendship and be seeking after these things of the world that hates him, that hates us? And that these, this is what James is trying to say to these guys. You know, why you're adulterers and adulteresses, he's saying to them, because here you are chasing down these very things that are the enemy, that put themselves at war with the Lord. You know, he calls it adultery. In verse 5, that word dwell means to settle, to prompt, and govern. The word yearns means to long for, desire, and pursue, or lust after. And that jealousy means envy. And everywhere else in the New Testament, that sin is, it's a sin of envy, it's called. Now, some would say that that spirit is striving against us, is this, or uh, against these things is the spirit of God that he put in us. And some would say, well, it's just the spirit of man. Um, that is envying after the pleasures of this world. The point here is is that it is in fact, and there's a war going on, and there's an enemy, an enmity, an adultery due to these guys' love for the world. And it makes sense to me that that would be talking about the spirit of the Lord because you know He's jealous for us. He's our betrothed. He's our you know gonna we're going to be in a relationship with him. Well, if we're chasing down these other things, like in the Old Testament, they'd chase down the Baals, and they'd be going after all these other gods, and it aroused God's jealousy. And so that's certainly a part of this. Um, 
And some would say, though, that the word spirit there just means that simple part of us that continues to want to go after these fleshly desires. And it kind of makes sense a little bit in that passage, but um, it just seems to me if he's talking about adultery and if he's talking about enmity, he's talking about that that uh, spirit from the Lord that would just love for us to be walking after him. And here they are making him jealous, making him... Um, you know, becoming adulterers and adulteresses. And then he says in verse 7 through 9, but there is more grace. There, um, or in verse 6, I'm sorry. And he says uh, he gives more grace. And uh, for who? You know, is it for the proud? Is it for these guys that are all ready to go do and all proud to do what they're going to do and love with the world? Or is it for, well, it's for the humble. Now, what he's describing in verses 7 through 9, if you want to follow it, it's a list. What it is they need and what it is that they are. And um, it's an interesting thing to look at. Uh, verses 7, it says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Will cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up, is verse 10. But what they need in these passages, well, they need to be humble. Well, what are they? Well, they're self-willed and proud. They need to resist the devil. But what are they? Well, they're friends with the, with the world that's ruled and run by the devil. What they need is to draw near to God, but they're running with the enemies of God. This is what James is getting at. You know, he, What they need is to cleanse their hands, but they're following after their filthy lusts and desires and this earthly, sensual, you know, they're adulterers. They need to purify their hearts, but he says they're double-minded. Back in chapter 1, verses uh, 7 and 8, he talked about them being double-minded if they, uh, they doubting they're doubting the, the wisdom from the Lord. It says you're double-minded. You want to have it both ways. You don't want the wisdom of the Lord. Jesus would say that you have two masters. You know, you're either going to love the one and hate the other, or you're not going to keep either of them happy. And so double-minded is, is uh, where they're at. Instead, they should purify their hearts, be of single heart, single mind. Um, to mourn and weep is what they need. Well, what they're doing is laughing. It says instead of turn your laughter to mourning, what they need is gloom, believe it or not. Well, why? Because the joy that they're getting is from these things that they're boasting in and from these things that they're seeking after. The first couple of verses of James talks about take joy in these trials that you're in. Why? Well, because it's working out patience and it's working out your faith and it's going to put your eyes on the kingdom to come. Uh, for the things that were set before him, Jesus suffered and died on the cross. For what? For the joy that was set before him, right? And so that's the kind of joy we should have our things in, our joy in. And instead of uh, these guys, they're boasting. We fall short in all these things every day, if we're honest, right? You know, with all of this, and then if we are honest, well, it's kind of humiliating, isn't it, that we fall into this? It's kind of humbling. It's kind of shameful all the filthy worldly things that we tend to gravitate towards. And if we are humbled by this, and we're not pointing the finger at somebody else, um, and we are taking it upon ourselves, 
that that we're responsible for this. Um, he says, all the more, don't lie against the truth with boasting and pride. In verses, um, verse 10, it says, well, then humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. You know, when we're faced with these things, we have to acknowledge the fact that we do fall short. If we don't walk in sin, then we then we got bigger problems. Then we need to go back to square one. But if we stumble, and we do, and we find within us these wars that carry on, these wars in our members that want to draw us after these things. And in verse 11 and 12, it leads right into it. You know, because if we're humble, if we realize that we're the ones that have made these mistakes and that we fall short, and if we're honest, and we are humiliated, and if we are ashamed of, of you know, then how are we going to do this? You know, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, and you are not a doer of the law, but a judge, well, there's one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? If, I, if, I, if I'm aware of my sin, and if it makes me humiliated and humble and ashamed, what am I doing looking at the next guy? You know, it, it, we have no right to do that. And he's saying there's only one guy. There's only one lawgiver. And not a guy, but the Lord, Lord God Almighty. Um, not just a guy. But uh, back in chapters 2, verses 4 through 13, James said that they had become judges with evil thoughts by the way they treated the poor. Now he's speaking to individuals who need to take these things to heart so that they do uh, understand that they do come, fall short. Now it's common for those who are a part of a mob, and I don't know if that's what he's talking about here, but there's guys that are speaking evil of one another. But it's common if you're a part of a mob to single out somebody that you, you know, to accuse, and as long as, you know, you're a part of the crowd, well, you know, nobody's going to be looking at you because you're all looking at this person and you're all ready to scrutinize them and, you know, nobody's got anything on you anyways and so you've got this this uh, mob and you're going to go accuse you know like when when uh, they brought the woman caught in adultery before the lord it was a mob here these guys all drag her out there throw her down in the middle in front of the lord and, and say you know you know wait and see what he's going to do what are you going to do about this lord there she is big sinner well here's this mob all of a sudden now it's not a mob all of a sudden it's individuals because he starts writing in the sand and while he's writing in the sand one by one it doesn't say oop he wrote something they all took off the mob didn't didn't disappear all of a sudden it's not a mob it's individuals they thought they were a part of this group that they could just come and say whatever they wanted to say because it was all about this person over here well the problem was is that the lord sees and that's what he's talking about here the lord sees everything he, he's the one who um is able to um see the individual and so when he would write in the sand one by one it says began to walk away each one realizing Jesus sees them and whatever he wrote left them without the ability to accuse or judge or say anything now that word speak evil is one word um, when he's talking about verse 11 it means uh, to speak against one to, to incriminate I don't know what this word means traduce or traducers, they're called. Now, when you look that up, it basically means to be a slanderer. So basically, you're slandering by speaking evil. 
And it's from the root word to defame. And it's related to the word that means to grab or take over or take power over. And so basically what they're trying to do is, in this mob, they're trying to take this woman and they're trying to get power, get something up on Jesus because he's not going to be able to answer because there she is, she did it. And so he took that right out of their hands. And related to this, there's another verse, you don't necessarily have to turn there, Titus 3, 1 through 5, talks about, you know, don't speak evil. And he's talking to Titus, who was also a, a leader, a pastor. And he says, you know, don't, don't just rise up and speak evil all of a sudden now on these things. That's a little different. It's the word blasphemo, and it means to rail against and to revile and reproach. In other words, you just don't go off on somebody, is what he's telling Titus. You know, these guys, these ones that James is talking about, well, they, they're the ones that are, are going to kind of be uh, following the procedures. They, they want to do it the way it's supposed to be done. Uh, they're going to follow the guidelines, but all along their motive is to bring someone else under judgment and then that they could be judged. Um, and so they don't realize that they're going to be judged in that same way, just like Jesus when he bent down and wrote in the sand. You know, we think we're following all these procedures, some guidelines sometimes, but what's our motive when we're bringing these things? And James said in chapter 2, there will be no mercy for those who do not show mercy. And he was talking about judging. And, um, you know, what's he saying here in verse 12? There's only one lawgiver who's able to save and to destroy. And um, he's also the one who is our Savior and gives us life. To each one, you know, we stand before the Lord, each one of us. You know, for us to look at the guy on our left or on our right, um, I don't care if they're clowns or jokers and we're stuck in the middle. Whatever it is, we can't look at them. The Lord can make him stand or fall. We need to just take these things to our hearts and do what it is that we know we're supposed to do. You know, so the Lord's the one. Interesting aspect of this is Psalm 51. If you'd like to turn there, I'm going to read the whole thing. But there's something I want to point out about this. This is when David had fallen with Bathsheba and he killed Uriah so that he could have Bathsheba because he was in trouble. And um, he, would, he just couldn't get it to work any other way. And he ended up, in order to save it, face for himself, he ended up killing her. The story is in Second Samuel chapters 11 and 12 for your notes. But then Nathan the prophet comes to him and confronts him. And uh, you remember the story. Nathan says there was this guy that had uh, thousands of sheep. And he lived next door to this other guy that had one sheep. And he just wanted that one sheep, even though he had thousands of his own. And, you know, this, he stole that sheep, took it for himself. David, what should we do with that guy? Well, he needs to be put to death. Well, David, you are that man. You took Bathsheba. And you had all that you wanted in this kingdom. And you had to take that, that, uh, that man's sheep, take his wife. And so David was cut to the heart right then and there. What they say, David, compared to Saul, the difference, David, when confronted, even though he was a sinner, he was quick to repent. Saul, he never repented. He, he kept making excuses and blaming everybody else. So the difference is Psalm 51. 
And he writes this when he's in this with Nathan. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Watch me, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and then my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. Stop there. Well, what about Bathsheba? What about all of, of uh, Uriah's family? That was Bathsheba's husband that he killed. What about Ahithophel? That was Bathsheba's grandpa. Come to find out later on, Ahithophel went in with Absalom, tried to take David out. It was brewing all this while. He was a counselor of uh, David's and and, uh, then went with Absalom. What about Ahithophel? Isn't David supposed to be, you know, acknowledging his sin before him and all of Uriah's family? Well, look at this. Against you and you only have I sinned. You know, did, did, did Ahithophel write the Ten Commandments? Well, no, the Lord did. So if we sin, we sin against the Lord. And you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and my sin, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make known wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Blood of the Lamb for you and me. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Oh man, what a prayer. Create me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Imagine that. You can be such a sinner and find such forgiveness. And be washed so clean that you can ask that the Lord restore your joy. You know, the shame that we feel and the humiliation, and yet we can be so clean, so washed, that we can ask for joy again, right? And um, so uphold me in your generous spirit, by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you, just like he was, right? Deliver from me the guilt of bloodshed. He killed Uriah. O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness, not my own. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices are God, or what? A broken spirit, humility, broken. A broken and contrite heart. These things, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. And you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteous and the burnt offerings and the whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your off altars. And so, last couple of verses, it's get back to business. You know, stumbled. He reaped what he sowed. There's more to the story. If you go back to Second Samuel. And uh, you can read, picking it up, how things go from there. There was a sword didn't depart from his house. The child died. Um, There was a reaping of what he had sowed. But here it is, you know, washed. Iniquities forgotten and cast aside. A a new spirit created a right spirit within him. And uh, do your good pleasure, Lord. 
know what you want to do. We all stand before the one judge and lawgiver. You know, don't you want grace and mercy when you stand before your, your maker? Um, verses 13 through 17, just to finish up. It's funny how the flow of thought goes now through this. The guys that are speaking evil of one another and they think it's everybody else but themselves. And, um, you know, James is giving them all kinds of encouragement, though. You know, here's what you need to do. Be humble, be humiliated. Verses 13 through 17, though, it says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. But you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor, a smoke that appears for a little time, then it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, well, that's a sin. Speaking still to these double-minded guys, um, they still got one foot in the world, and so he's talking to him about uh, um, all these things that you have plans for yourself. There's a couple of passages, 10 verses back in Matthew 6, that Jesus lays this out for us. It's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. and We've got a few, few minutes here. And also, uh, you can have a finger in 1 Timothy 6 as well. And, but Matthew 6, 24 through 34 talks about what we said earlier. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else it will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Well, you cannot serve God and mammon, and that kind of covers what we talked about earlier. But also these guys that are going such and such a city to make a profit, riding the fence, one foot in the world. But he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? What you, of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature. So why do you worry about clothing and consider the lilies of the field and how they grow, neither toil nor spin? And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And so if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, or where are we going to go tomorrow to another city to make a profit? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, or the heathen, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And so therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. These guys were making plans. Now, I have a business, and I have to schedule people. They, they call me. I've got more people than I can schedule today. I have to think about tomorrow. Well, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what we're anxious about. He's talking about pursuing after this worldly uh, um, type of stuff and, and things to satisfy the flesh. And sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And boy, the older I get, the more that is so true. Just enough for today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. And you know, the more I trust the Lord for that, 
the easier the days get because you know he, he gives you that, what you need that day. And First uh, Timothy 6, and just the final two verses tonight, for real, is uh, 17 through 19. Talking about these guys and what it is, if we know what we're supposed to do and we don't do it, it is sin. Well, in verse 17, he says, Command those who are rich in this present age. Don't be haughty or trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come or the next life when we go to be with the Lord. You, know, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead is the phrase that they may lay hold of eternal life. That's the key. You know, it's going to be kind of one or the other when it comes to wealth and riches. It's not the wealth itself. It's not money. That's the root of all evil. It's the pursuit of wealth. It's that if that's all there is in your life and that's all you're chasing after. And it's the love of money. That's the problem. That's the root of all evil. And so... James chapter 5 on Sunday, and um, he kind of picks up a little bit, just looking at it, the first verse, come now you rich, weep and howl, so stay tuned. All right, Lord, thank you so much for your word, and we do um, trust that you're going to work in us all these things, and we do fall short, and Lord, there are times we are completely ashamed and completely humiliated, and so we do come to you and desire that you would wash us, lift us up again, dust us off, put us on our way. And Lord, just teach us not to walk after these things. Teach us the wisdom and show us the wisdom and give us the knowledge and give us the foresight just to not pursue these things. And Lord, if you've given us these things, Lord, just let us use them for what you desire and whatever that be. And continue to, to call us to provide for our family and to be good stewards of what you've given us. And we just thank you for all of that. And so we pray your word would not return void and go and accomplish everything you desire to do. In Jesus' name, amen.